You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. More coronavirus fishing expeditions. Don't let idleness or desperation lead you into a money mule scam. How do behavioral expectations change during periods of remote work? The Health and Human Services incident appears to be just that. NIST has some advice for video conferencing and virtual meetings. And an exhortation to return to the Blitz spirit. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, March 18th, 2020. As security companies continue to watch the cyber underworld, they're seeing the expected spike in coronavirus-themed scams, fish bait, and general online bottom feeding. Malwarebytes reported this morning on the latest criminal phishing expedition. This one is baited with an offer of an ebook from the World Health Organization. Inside this ebook, My Health, write the skids in their email, you shall find out the complete research and origin of coronavirus and the recommended guide to follow to protect yourself and others. Enough to get you to click? But wait, there's more. This guidance provides critical considerations and practical checklists to keep kids and business center safe. So do it for the children, of course, and for business center. It's not a badly spelled email, but capitalization and usage are off enough that the wary recipient need look no further before bonging these bozos to the spam list. Another underworld development that preys on the economic hardship occurring in tandem with telecommuting is an increase in the number of people being recruited as money mules, Krebs on Security reports. One of the larger operations Krebs describes, the Vasti Healthcare Foundation, strikes a high-minded tone about connecting causes and providers, tells prospective mules they're hired, assigns busy work, and then has them process donations, that is, launder money. The busy work is a particularly nasty ploy. It weeds out lazy and unreliable slackers, for one thing, and so plays on the diligent and trusting. But as we think about these scams, let's follow the wise advice of an op-ed by Dr. Salvatore Stolfo, founder and CTO of Allure Security, that dark reading ran yesterday. Dr. Stolfo's thinking about tax season scams, but it's good advice in any case. Let's save our contempt for the criminals and spare the victims, especially when they're motivated by trust or fear. If it's crook-on-crook crime, red-on-red, then fine. It's in the interest of civilized people that both sides lose— 
But the ordinary Jane or Joe who falls for a scam? Give them some help and some understanding. The pandemic-driven surge in remote work has a side effect that many of us might overlook. Many of the norms that inform behavioral anomaly detection may need re-evaluation and revision. Duo Security's Decipher blog points out that people will work at unusual times and from unusual places, and they may fumble VPN access or unfamiliar multi-factor authentication to such an extent that multiple login attempts will no longer indicate that some form of credential stuffing or brute force attack is in progress. Evelyn from HR logging in from Chicken Gizzard Ridge or Blue Lick? Remote work. Fran from IT working at 4 a.m.? Needs to fit work from home around distractions of home. Remote work. The gang from sales engineering all in the office? Well, it may not be remote work, but they can't be on the road anymore. All those conferences have been canceled. Anyway, if you do use behavioral analytics in your security program, it might be a good time to talk to your vendor about whether and how your baselines might need to be redrawn. Some such anomaly may be behind the Iranian attack that wasn't this past weekend. The consensus about the incident the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services experienced Sunday and Monday is now relatively firm. It probably wasn't an attack at all. And clearly the department's operations didn't suffer. Some think it might not even have amounted to a probe or a preliminary distributed denial of service attack. It might have been an unusually large number of visitors looking for reliable information on COVID-19 or even an artifact of the department's Drupal instance. The episode should indicate, as we've seen so often in the past, the difficulties of attribution. It's often difficult to tell whether an incident is an attack at all or simply a malfunction or even just routine functioning that's a bit out of the ordinary. So what should you be thinking about in these challenging times? The U.S. National Institute of Standards and Technology, known as NIST, has some advice on how to conduct online meetings securely. The challenge, of course, is keeping out eavesdroppers. First of all, follow your organization's policies for virtual meeting security. You do have policies, right? Avoid reusing access codes. As NIST points out, if you've used the same code for a while, you've probably shared it with more people than you can imagine or recall. Sensitive discussions call for one-time pins or meeting codes and also for multi-factor authentication. Don't let the meeting start until the host joins. Enable notification when someone joins, play a tone, or speak a name. In any case, have new attendees announce themselves, and use a dashboard to monitor attendees. Think twice about recording the meeting. If it's not necessary, then don't. If it's a web meeting with video, then disable features you don't need, like chat or file sharing. And before someone shares their screen, remind them not to inadvertently put up any sensitive information. We are all experiencing useful reminders of our public responsibilities to each other these days. And if you'll forgive me an awkward transition, there are those in cybersecurity who remind us of our shared responsibilities in the public cloud, especially given the prevalence of cloud misconfigurations. Johnny Constantis is among those spreading the good word. She's Senior Director of Security Product Management at Oracle, and I sat down with her at the RSA conference. Yeah, I mean, I think the big word of the uh, hour is misconfiguration, right? Mm. So I think where we stand is we have a lot of security tools. I mean, a show like this is evidence of that, right? Mm -hmm. And clearly a lot of innovation is happening in security 
especially for cloud. But we're still in a state where the losses associated with data uh, are mounting. And, you know, the biggest culprit here is really not a lack of tools, but tools that don't really automate risk reduction. Can you walk me through, help me understand, because obviously no one sets out to have an insecure bucket in the cloud. So what is the typical way that someone finds themselves inadvertently in this situation? Sure. Uh, If you consider, you know, one of the recent breaches that uh, had credit card applications, right? Uh, That configuration is likely very common to a lot of cloud customers. So you uh, you have some object stores. They contain various kinds of unstructured data. So spreadsheets, documents, photos, what have you. Mm -hmm. And you might have an object store that contains um, database backup. So databases are its own entity or instance, but it is very common to take a database and back it up into an object store. Now, object stores, by their very nature in the cloud, are meant to be easily accessible because accessing that unstructured data obviously is very common. Mm. What happens is those those buckets, whoever sort of set it up, uh, thought, well, this is a database that contains uh, sensitive information. I'm going to make it private. Months pass and someone says, you know, that database backup, we're going to run some analytics. So it would really be great to, you know, sort of get access to that backup. And so they flip it open. Should probably only be kept open for... I don't know, the hour or so. That, that mere moments. Mere moments. <laughs> and, that, and there it stays. And so what that all is called is configurations drift. So you start off with a security posture that is quite good. You've applied best practices. But over time, things get opened up for one reason or another. And they're never flipped back to their proper state. How do you see the, the standards, the... The expectations for these sorts of things evolving over the next year or so, or are these the, the sorts of things that you're offering, do you expect by necessity these are going to be the expected standard from cloud providers, these, these types of security measures? Definitely. You know, we ran a survey last year, Oracle, with KPMG, and customers were all in on cloud. They even believed that it was more secure than their their premises environment, which didn't have the benefit of newer technologies and homogeneous architecture. But what they were very confused about was shared responsibility. The shared responsibility model, where do you draw the line? It's mine. This this is what I take care of from a security perspective. This is what you take care of. What we're saying is, yes, of course, there will always be, uh, you know, the need for some diagram that shows what controls you as a customer actually get. Right. it has to be easier. It has to be automated. That's Johnny Constantis from Oracle. NIST has been busy this week. They're not only posting advice about the security of virtual meetings, but they've also issued a revised draft of Draft Special Publication 800-53, Revision 5, Security and Privacy Controls for Information Systems and Organizations. It is an important document, and this is their first revision in seven years. NIST is happy to accept comments through May 15th. What better way to spend a period of more or less enforced leisure, if you're among those who find themselves in that position, than to snuggle up with SP 800-53 and then lay some of your knowledge on NIST. They'll thank you for it, and you'll deserve well of the Republic. And finally, an outage described as a technical issue, not an attack, has disrupted voice service in four British mobile carriers, O2, 
3, Vodafone, and EE, inconveniencing many who are depending on voice service for their COVID-19-driven remote work, the Telegraph reports. The carriers are recovering. We wish everyone in the UK well, and if we may, a return to what the Force's sweetheart, singer Vera Lynn, now a vigorous 102 years old, this week called the Blitz Spirit. Keep calm and keep on, and here's some Dame Vera to put you in the right frame of mind. There'll be bluebirds over the white cliffs of Dover tomorrow. Just you wait and see. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And now, a word from our sponsor, Looking Glass Cyber. Organizations have been playing a dangerous game of cyber Jenga, stacking disparate security tools, point solutions, and boxes one on top of the other, hoping to improve their security posture. This convoluted and overloaded security stack can't hold up in today's micro-segmented, borderless, and distributed networks. As the enterprise network grows, organizations need a flexible protection around their unique network ecosystems. By weaving security into the investments your organization has already made, formerly disjointed tools can communicate with one another to disrupt and distract the adversary without revealing your defenses. With a software-based approach to unifying your security stack, security teams can easily scale their protection to fit their needs with one integrated software solution requiring no specialty hardware. Meet the Aeonic Security Fabric. Learn more at lookingglasscyber.com. That's lookingglasscyber.com. 
And we thank Looking Glass Cyber for sponsoring our show. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute, also my co-host on the Hacking Humans podcast. Joe, great to have you back. Hi, Dave. You and I regularly discuss uh, this notion that uh, two-factor authentication is a good thing. It is. Uh, And one thing we've noticed is that uh, two-factor has gotten a lot easier thanks to apps on mobile devices that allow you to have that two-factor happen in a, in a sort of frictionless way right. on your mobile device. Right. Recently at uh, the RSA conference, there were a couple of researchers who were presenting on this topic, and uh, and they said, uh, not so fast. Right, yeah, these, these researchers are uh, Aaron Turner and Georgia Weedman. They emphasize that these authenticator apps like, like Google Authenticator, or there's a Microsoft version, there's other third-party ones out there, they're better than the SMS two-factor, but... They're only as secure as the phones they're running on, Hmm. right? So if you're running an older phone that has malware on it, you're making yourself vulnerable to an attacker who may be able to get your your two-factor authentication that Hmm. way. Now, they'd have to target you specifically, and they'd have to know which phone was yours, but if they had the malware, they, they could do it. How far back are we talking about here? Uh, that's, That's a good point, Dave. This talks a lot about older systems. One of the things they say is you do not want any of the risks associated with the 32-bit iOS from Apple. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're talking about uh, Android devices, they said use the Pixel devices or if you can't get a Pixel device, an Android One device. Hmm. Which Now, Android One, we've talked about this before. That's the Google program for essentially bare Android. You get the Android security updates uh, just like the Pixels do. And they're a more affordable line of, of Android phones. You know, I think this brings up another good point, which is I think for a lot of people, there's this notion that these devices are expensive. Right. My mobile device is working fine for me. Uh-huh. It ain't broke. Don't, why why you know, fix it? Why fix it? And that's also a good point. I empathize a lot with that point. You know, I paid a lot of money for my Google Pixel 3 that sure. I have sitting right here. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm not looking forward to replacing it. And I'm sure you you feel the same way with your iPhones. Yeah. But Eventually, what they will stop, Apple and Google and everybody will stop supporting these older phones because they have become end of life. And we as consumers have to understand that when we're buying a phone, it is going to be end of life at some point in time. It is right. not going to last forever. And one of the main reasons it doesn't last forever and gets end of life is because of the security problems it has. Right. But I think also the nuance here is that it's not just that end of lifing Perhaps you don't want to wait for the end of life. Perhaps right. as part of your investment in your own security, you should be on a cycle of X number of years because with that update to the device, the hardware and the software comes security updates. Right. There have been massive improvements in the hardware level of security updates hmm. on, on these devices. They didn't used to have secure enclaves or trusted platform modules or, or whatever hardware was in there. Now they do. Yeah. And that is a huge step forward in security. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know what's coming in the future, but there may be something in the future in a couple of years that's even a bigger step forward in security that's hardware-based. And right. there's no amount of software updates that'll help you with that. Mm. Uh, we've also seen a lot of vulnerabilities happen in hardware recently, particularly with the Intel products. Um, I can't remember what they were called because it's been over a year. And I <laughs> You mean like Spectre and Meltdown? <laughs> yes, exactly. Spectre and Meltdown. Thank you, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> um, that eventually the next generation of processors that are going to come out are not going to have those vulnerabilities. Right. But right. you can't go into your server farm and go, well, I just got to replace all these CPUs. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's the same thing with your phone. 
there may be some kind of vulnerability that gets discovered in the in the CPU of the phone, and you can't just change that out. You have to get a new phone. Yeah, yeah. I I just think it's a good idea that uh, I, I, to look at it as an investment in your security to be on some sort of a regular upgrade cycle. Yes, this is expensive. I guess it could be considered money well spent. Aaron Turner makes a good point in this talking in this article that we're looking at from Tom's Guide. He says, really, uh, the better solution is to go with a hardware token like a, a YubiKey or the Google Titan product. Hmm. Um, I've actually made that move, and I'm actually starting to use that more often. There is one thing you have to do, though. You have to buy two of these devices. Um, <laughs> and you have to buy two of them and keep one of them uh, at home and safe. Because if the main one you use breaks, you're going to need a backup. Yeah. Because uh, if you don't have it, uh, you could be locked out of everything. Then you have to go through the hassle of calling all these different providers and trying to get your account reset. And good luck if you don't pay for Gmail, getting Google to respond to your <laughs> to your request. Yeah. It might yeah. just be a new email address for you. Uh, right? Let me also tell you, just from personal experience, if you're someone who travels and when you travel, you like to leave your keys at home because you don't want to risk losing your keys while right. you're on the road. Yep. Well, if your keys happen to include that hardware key <laughs> on it, you may find yourself uh, away from home without your hardware key. And, and that might not work out well for you. Right. So. That means you're going to have a hard time getting, you know, I keep I keep my YubiKey attached to my backpack because usually when I travel, I have my backpack with me. In fact, mm-hmm. always when I travel, I have my backpack with me. It has right. a lot of things in it that I need to live. So <laughs> I just keep it there. I don't keep it with my keys. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, good advice. Uh, Interesting article here. It's from Tom's Guide. It's uh, don't run your 2FA authenticator app on these smartphones. Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Dave. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. 
In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. 